DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Greg Hansen, sports columnist of the Arizona Daily Star. He's been on the show many times, joins us once again. Greg, thanks for coming on again. Hey, thanks, David. I guess you guys are in a heat wave up there, huh? Uh, yeah, it's a little warm this week. I mean, I don't want to say too much because you're in Tucson, right? So nobody who lives in Tucson or Phoenix wants to hear me talk about how hot it is in Salt Lake. Least of all my co-host who's going to roll his eyes like, yeah, I mean, 99 is hot, but it's not 115. So how about a big old dose to shut up? Shut up. Sure. Thank you, PK. How would you like to live in Phoenix this week? No, thank you. Yeah. My sisters tell me about it daily. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we love having you on for multiple reasons, Greg. But one reason is that uh, you've made a career of working in Tucson. You have seen the Pac-8 morph into the Pac-10 and into the Pac-12. And so you bring a really good perspective, you know, not getting caught up in the moment, having the big picture. Uh, John Canzano has written a lot about the problems in the Pac-12, the finances, the issue with the commissioner and the office, and he's, he's got a new thing uh, about, you know, the state of the, uh, the conference office. The commissioner's down to a couple years on his deal. It's two years, his deal will be up. Four years, the, the conference will need a new TV deal. So this is a big decision coming up. What have you seen? What have you heard? What do you think about which way they need to go? Because clearly, uh, from Colorado to Cal to UCLA to Stanford, there's financial issues with coaches leaving, attendance, apparel deals. So the TV deal needs to be right, given what's happened in the Big Ten and the SEC. What do you know? What do you think? Well, I think they have to have a new vision, and they have to have a new a new figure that the league identifies with because Larry Scott is the most, is the biggest spender, I think, in the history of college sports uh, in a league that can't afford it. Uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday he said he's taking a 12% pay cut yeah. over the next fiscal year out of $5.3 million, the highest paid commissioner in, in college sports. 12%? Are you kidding me? But why not? Why not half of it? I mean, that would be a great example to the league that he's actually on the side of those who are struggling, and it didn't resonate very well with me, I know that. Yeah, when you look at it in what can be a somewhat of an unusual situation, the folks who hired him, the chancellors, presidents, whoever they may be, uh, most of them, I think all but two, have changed. you have any idea how much support he has out somebody out, outside of somebody like Crow at ASU? You're right about that. Crow is his number one ally, and uh, Crow is so powerful, and you probably know this as well as anybody in at Arizona State. They're the only school in the league that hasn't announced publicly anything uh, about uh, K reductions or cutbacks in budgets yet. It's just because Crow runs ASU with an iron fist, and um, uh, and as long as he is in um, Scott's corner, Scott's probably got a fighting chance, but with a ten new AD, with ten new presidents in the league, um, I, I just can't imagine Scott would be uh, rehired uh, in 2022. I, I'm like John Canzano. I, I think they'll move before that to, to get a different uh, figure at the top of the league. I figure that 
the best chance Larry Scott has to survive this is to know that he's got somebody uh, probably in the, you know, one of the new media people, whether it's Google or Facebook or Hulu or Amazon or whoever, ready to write a massive check. And he knows that nobody else does. And if they throw him out, they don't have access to that deal. Do you think? Okay. Has he made that kind of move though? Yeah. I mean, I just saw Tom Hanks on TV talking about Apple TV, his new movies on Apple TV. You know, that does look like a part of the future, but would something like Apple TV be willing to absorb uh, college sports and pay what's, you know, the big money that's needed to get a Pac-12 contract, something like that? That's, That's a big unknown. I'm wondering if the conference is prepared to make drastic changes, you know, could go to eight conference games like a couple of the other conferences do, get themselves out of the ultimate high-rent district in San Francisco, or are they going to just plot along with small changes versus substantial ones? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, do you mean eight games for this coming season? No, I mean eight conference games. Yeah. Uh, in total, going forward, once we get past this pandemic, you know, the SEC with the eight conference games and scheduling the Citadel in no, the middle of November yeah. as a warm-up for their big games at the end of the season, really make it advantageous for themselves as a conference to get at least one, if not two, teams into the playoff. Uh, yeah, because the SEC is the top financial model in college sports, I could see the Pac-12 looking at that. And number one, it would be the marginal teams, you know, like Oregon State and Arizona, year to year would become closer to bowl eligibility. But to me, the one difference is fans in half of the league's uh, cities wouldn't go to, to a game against Citadel in November. Um, whereas Tuscaloosa, you're still going to get 100000 So it would be a gamble for sure. Most of the Pac-12 teams play such weak non-conference schedules now, though, that it's but it's really sad. Um, there's no greater example of that than Arizona. They haven't played it. The biggest name team Arizona's played outside the conference in 10 years is Texas Tech. So no wonder they had their smallest attendance since 1975 last year. Greg Hansen joining us, longtime sports columnist at the Arizona Daily Star. At the other end of the spectrum, there's USC. And I think the conference needs USC to be good the way the Big 12 needs Oklahoma to be good and the way the the Big Ten needs Ohio State and the SEC needs Alabama. And, and now the ACC is coming to depend on Clemson, although certainly that's much newer. These others are you know decades of tradition behind them. So SC is opening with Alabama, closing with Notre Dame, and in between they are playing nine conference games. Yeah. This is not a recipe to get USC to the playoff. And the Pac-12 needs USC to be in the playoff at least, you know, yeah. every third year or so. And and they could be pretty good this year. And Clay Helton's going to take a lot of heat. But who in America, how many people can he commiserate with? How many coaches have been handed a schedule like this? I, w- I would say nobody. Um, Pete Carroll, you know, he was having those 12-0 and seasons that with the schedule UCLA now has, Pete Carroll's 12 and 0 teams would probably have gone 10 and 2 and would have never been, you know, a national champion. It's, that's just too much. Um, I mean, you do have to play Portland State every now and then. And USC just, you know, USC has never played a um, FCS school in college football ever. Uh, that, that's amazing. 
Yeah, it really is as far as that goes. And, and I'm wondering, too, that scheduling uh, until and I wouldn't say if, I would say when we get to the eight-team playoff. So if you win your conference out of the Power Five, you're, you're guaranteed yeah. a slot in there. I'm wondering if there will be a scheduling philosophy change or is the Pac-12 forced to do this to try to grab some attention and hope that they win these games? Yeah, it works both ways, doesn't it? It kind of works against itself. Um, and as soon as USC plays a diminished schedule, then everybody's going to be on it for playing weak points. So it's almost you win or you lose, or you, there's no middle ground. And um, I like the model of USC taking on all comers myself because um, it gives the Pac-12 such a better reputation. And maybe USC just needs a different head coach. Um, not that I'm four against Clay Helton, but you know he, he's not a Pete Carroll or a John McKay. Maybe they need Notre Dame to be eight and four too. <laughs> then it sounds good, but it's not ten and two Notre Dame. That would yeah, help a little exactly. bit. You know, one thing about playing Alabama at the start and Notre Dame at the end, you know, we're not sure non-conference games are going to happen. We're not sure the season is going to start. Uh, all we read is that Arizona, Florida, and Texas have become hot spots. Uh, you're in Arizona. Do you think the season's starting on time? What do you think the season's going to look like? Well, it was only a week ago that the U of A president um, actually said um, very transparently that the way things are now, he cannot imagine school opening in uh, like August 20th, except for online. And if it's online, um, how will all the students? I mean, it just won't work. Um, I, I just can't see it happen if it's online. And I've read that a million times from people who know a million times more than I do that if it's online only, there can't be college football. Um, and it's starting. The momentum's starting to go because I saw Harvard yesterday um, said it's online only. And and that's just the beginning. It's only July 7th. Imagine what it might be like on July 27th, how many other schools might say the same thing. Yeah, what was going down there in Tucson when they said Arizona was stopping uh, workouts? But was, And then I thought I heard it that it was just uh, for other sports, not football. Could you enlighten us what was happening there? They paused their schedule. For example, they were going to bring, start bringing back men's and women's basketball players on, I believe it was July 24th, and so that's on hold now. And it's almost doesn't matter anyway because seven of Arizona's basketball players are, are from Europe. Um, they signed seven European players this year. They're not going to be allowed to be here. They're not going to be able to get in the country. So Arizona couldn't start college basketball workouts on July 24th, even if it wanted to. Um, same for the women's basketball team at Arizona, which is a top-10 team now. They've got like five foreign players. So, and that date's not going to work. I had heard stuff early on about campuses being partially open. For instance, uh, you know, when the sciences uh, lectures could be online. Yeah. 
but the labs would need to be in there. But if but they'd spread the labs out so you only have so few people on campus. And I've heard the same thing about sports that well they don't want to bring people back to the dorms, but because they're not bringing very you know the few international students maybe, but because they're not bringing a lot of people back to the dorms, you could spread players out. Everybody can have their own sure. dorm, and so a partially open campus is the best scenario for sports. Are they talking about that at all, or is that ship sailed? Isn't that about the only way it could happen? Where each guy could have his own room, you know, with no with nobody in the room next to him? Isn't that the only safe way it could be done? It, it makes sense. It makes sense to me, but I'm not running a university. I mean, yeah. to me, the partially open campus model is the best one for sports, and it, and it seems doable because I I don't think they want the campus 100 percent open and the dorms 100 percent full and the classrooms 100 percent full. So the partially open model seems to make the most sense. I mean, even when you say a campus is closed, it's closed to a lot of people, but it's probably not closed to everybody. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of denial or delay on the University of Arizona's part, though. I, I think they've been very upfront, and they realize this is, has become worse than they thought it was going to be, so they're in a big fix right now. Um, and if they're in the fix, say Arizona State's got to be worse. I, I've seen a number of cases in Phoenix as compared to Tucson. It's seven times greater in Phoenix. That, that's got to be the same thing at Arizona State. I can't imagine yet opening on time either. You mentioned those seven foreign players. What was going on with Sean Miller that he's got a roster that looks like the United Nations? Yeah, you know, because of that FBI investigation that compromised their ability to recruit elite American players. So he went and got uh, two Lithuanians, three Lithuanians, a Turkey a guy from Turkey, a guy from France, plus five transfers. Um, so it's a whole new it's a whole new world for Arizona basketball now. Um, just, <laughs> I mean, the end is near for Arizona basketball. But I don't know if you have a lot of faith in what Dick Vitale says, but last week he tweeted that a source told him that the NCAA is going to announce in late July level one penalties against Arizona basketball. And I think my child's well enough connected that that wouldn't just be a, a bluff. Yeah. Greg Hansen, sports columnist at the Arizona Daily Star, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, let's assume that the season gets going at some point, uh, whatever it looks like. In the Pac-12 South, I'm seeing a lot of uh, kind of two divisions within the division that you've got yeah. uh, ASU and Utah are respected, but USC is picked to win it. Uh, but the other three, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona, pretty far up the track. Maybe UCLA could break out. Maybe they could make the jump. Uh-huh. Uh, does that all make sense to you, or is that uh, wrong for one or more teams? No, I think you nailed it. I just read the first college basketball magazine that came out, um, Athlon, which is pretty good. And um, it described it almost like you just did. There's a clear separation and Colorado's starting over at the bottom with no quarterback. Arizona is still at the bottom, but it does have a quarterback. And um, UCLA, who knows um, what that situation is like. I'll always like Utah. I keep seeing people say, oh, they lost all these defensive guys, and that's their strength. Well, I bet they're replacing them with really good players, too. <laughs> and, um, I mean, Kyle Whittingham 
20 years from now, people are going to look back and appreciate what he's done more then probably than now. I mean, he's just the best. Yeah, <laughs> we we do expect that defense to reload. We were talking about yeah. it uh, the other day, how since the conference uh, has gone to 12 and the Utes have gotten in, they are last in the league in touchdown passes. And yeah. so we're talking about, well, will they will they improve? Will the, you know, they have to improve, but as long as Kyle's there, they're never going to be Washington State and throwing it all over yeah. the place by any stretch. But... On the other side, well, look at all the players. I mean, they they don't have a lot of touchdown passes, but they have a lot of defensive players who get their name called when it's time for NFL draft. So, yeah, I don't know that they could be to that level where they went uh, eight and one last yeah. year. But my gosh, they're whoever's going to be in there, you know, is going to be pretty good, which is going to allow the team to be good. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, everything about Utah football is positive in my in my opinion. They've got. I know. I think Oregon's fans are fans of winners, but I think Utah's fans are fans that are going to be there all the time. And Washington has a strong fan base, but Utah's right at the top. I mean, what they've built in 15 years, 20 years, is just so impressive. Um, I mean, why couldn't that have been Arizona State or Arizona or Cal or somebody else? No, it was Utah coming from a smaller league, and man, it's just impressive. You know, I would say that um, it is impressive because you got to do the work. And if it were easy, somebody would have done the work earlier. But, you know, Tucson isn't as big as Salt Lake. And a lot of the Pac-12 cities, you know, ASU, Cal, Stanford, uh, Washington. I think what Washington's done is impressive because they're all in the shadow of NFL teams. Colorado in the shadow of the Broncos. And the fact that we don't have an NFL team here in Utah has certainly been a bonus uh, as we've watched schools here build it up because so much passion goes into NFL teams and that doesn't happen here. The passion here goes into the college teams. You know, also, Utah had this past BYU and I grew up in Utah so I know how formidable BYU was and the Utah past them, the people outside of the state don't realize how tough that was. Yes. Oh yeah, no question about that. Uh, when you look at the U of A, I don't know what kind of season we're going to have, so maybe that will mitigate yeah. the circumstances. But did you see this as a make-or-break year for someone? Except for the point that I don't think they could afford to pay him off. If they fire him after this season, it's a $5 million buyout. And given what's going to happen to their budgets, where are they going to come up with that $5 million? Um, I just can't see it now. He's going to get a pass and get another year. And, you know, they've recruited poorly again. They just don't have size to compete with anybody or depth or mostly talent. But they're kind of stuck with him now. Uh, so it's going to be a while. This could be a 10-year. I don't want to sound like some doomsayer, but this could be a 10-year hole that Arizona's in at football. It could be like wow. Oregon State used to be in. Well, on that happy note, Greg. <laughs> wow. I grew up in San Diego, and I root for San Diego State, so I know about lost decades. I've seen them. <laughs> they it, could be, it could be 15 or 20. He only said 10. I know. It's true. He's an optimist. Greg, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the perspective. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you, guys.